0: Welcome back to to Rob Gill's Epic Epic Financial Strategies Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to learn how to take action on your financial future, click the link in our bio to speak to us directly.
1: To learn more about how you can achieve financial freedom,
0: subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow Rob Gill all over social media. Financial freedom awaits.
1: I have with me today my man Harvey Graham. What's up, Harvey? Good to see you again. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Awesome, awesome. So I had the good fortune vis-a-vis Chris Krohn's foundation to uh, spend some days with Harvey in the Ukraine. One of the things that I do is I consult companies, consult for equity. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I'm I'm seeing this right now with a a group that I'm really close with. This is not about war right now, but war has many different faces and, and disguises. And the company's about to turn profitable. Right. There's owners and the right hand isn't speaking to the left hand. And within this company ownership, I could see that as they break profitability and take that next step forward, the power of control is starting to develop and it's showing itself in diluted, distorted manners. None of it's true, by the way. It's Hmm. just what how it's how it's happening emotionally. You could just see it unfolding. Not to say that it's not like I uh, Ukraine or, or Iraq, but it's not like it's not not either. Like there's still yeah. human dynamics, human behavior, and the desire for control, right? So for the business owners out there, the entrepreneur out there, you know, understanding that you know Harvey, at the age of 18, 19, a lot of things went over his head. He had the foresight to see his 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 corp his uh, corporals and and some of the folks that were that were ranked higher go through an emotional toll because of their experience in life up until that point thereafter. As well as seeing not only what happened in, in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Ukraine, but everything in life has patterns, right? Yeah. Right. And these patterns tend to repeat themselves over and over again. And and the question is if it's a suboptimal pattern, I'm speaking to the individual now or the business owner or the or the entrepreneur. How do you break that pattern? And if it's optimal, how do you double or triple down on that pattern? So that's the stuff that we look at here yeah. when we go to work. So anyway, um, wow, interesting. So, so Iraq led to what for you? I
0: went back to Afghanistan a couple more times. Um, now, Afghanistan,
1: <laughs> well, I'll stay with me on this because this is important. So Afghanistan had one face in 0304. Was it a different face at 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12? Yeah. I and along the way, so. did you
0: get married? I didn't know. I held off. I didn't get okay. married until I left the army.
1: So you waited for a long time to break into jail.
0: I waited. Yeah, I waited. <laughs> I, I wanted to like, make the most out of my 20s, so I got married at 29. You, um, you
1: seem to be a guy that thinks ahead of the game. When you do things like Man, I, I get, like you, 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 you said you waited, like you, yeah. you, there was experiences that you wanted to have. But anyway, take us through Afghanistan the next the next two iterations. So in Afghanistan,
0: I uh, the next two times I went to Helmand Province, which is in the south. Uh, Helmand Province was originally held by a unit of the British Army, and we took an approach which we'd taken in Sierra Leone, where we would take 120 people and we dump them in an area that we thought was strategically important for us. They were called district centers, and then we left them there. And what we didn't truly know about Afghanistan was that the part of Afghanistan we were in had been settled by certain tribes, which had an incredible amount of combat experience from serving um, under certain commanders who were Calchists, who'd overthrown the Soviet regime. So you got to think like you're living in this town in Helmand province in Afghanistan, your dad and your granddad are from a certain tribe and they were part of the mujahideen brigade Mm. in that area that overthrew the soviet union and then after they won the war superpower they they cut a deal with the local tribes in that area and settled there so we'd essentially found ourselves in an area where we were right next to pakistan where the afghan taliban had like a pretty strong hold you then had like the pakistani taliban and the narcotics militias but you also had the fact that, like every single extended family, everyone's uncle had combat experience and had Against been fighting Russia. the Soviets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they yeah. over
1: and they won, right? So they so did there win. Was, there was that honor, yeah. right? And there was that, you know, that heroic unique identity. By the way, was Northern Alliance around it all?
0: At this point, the Northern Alliance had had filtered out, and we had the Afghan Army. Got it. Um, okay. My job was I was embedded in the Afghan Army, and we were to train them and conduct like reconnaissance and intelligence operations and bring them up to speed. Now, did and, you create, um,
1: like, not ecosystem mergers, but did you create good relationships? We create networks. With, yeah. with Afghanistan as well? Or within those army units, yeah. or were they the enemy? Like No, the,
0: the Afghan army units, we, we would live with them. So there'd be eight of us, and then there would be 50 to 60 of them. Um, did you have
1: to look over your shoulder? Yeah. Like, was there certain people within that group that, you know, there was agendas? Yeah. Okay, yeah, they, what was they,
0: that like? They, the guy who replaced me was killed um in the back of a vehicle um in a checkpoint um Mm. there was a lot of we called them green on blue um and that there was the problem was bounties so the problem was the afghan army was recruited the officer class was recruited from the Tajiks, which were like have a pretty good position within afghan society and um have an iranian persian um background and then the soldiers would be predominantly pashto predominantly uzbek Would be paid very very little we're we're talking like seven dollars a day Mm. originally about three dollars a day and would be recruited from villages where there was no work so they they weren't they weren't particularly well educated they were very good people and some of them i would say were some of the finest soldiers i'd ever met 80 percent of them but they were very poor and they didn't understand the situation they were in and then you had foreign intelligence networks who would pay ten twenty thousand dollars if one of them would shoot me got it so that that created a situation to sow distrust within the organization kind of like within business where you you know if people have nefarious kind of motivations absolutely. they sow mistrust between undermine relationships absolutely and a lot of money was flowing in to get them to attack us and wow. these young soldiers who may have families that need to go into surgery you may need to purchase their farms back etc sure. etc yeah. et wouldn't think too much of shooting us so yeah there was mistrust, but there was also an incredible amount of heroism. But there was also an incredible amount of drug abuse, um, and and other forms of abuses. So yeah, it was a very
1: was drugs really that just, rampant? Was it like heroin or was it? I yeah, know no, the- it's
0: heroin, hashish mostly. Um, I'd take soldiers on patrol, and they would be they'd be smoking weed whilst on foot patrol, and then in the evenings they would would take harder drugs. Yeah, um, and all the places that that led them.
1: Did your experience, were you able to identify when you would get into a tricky situation? Did your instincts kick in? Did you ever kind of know when to like, wait, let me let me really kind of evaluate what's happening right now. Did anything come and surprise you as well?
0: Yeah, so they, they, there were two groups who were fighting in Hellman predominantly, it was the British Army and the Marine Corps. Um, and that's kind of where the affinity with the US Marine Corps developed. And like, I, I know a bunch of Marines and we'll, we'll talk about what fob you're in in Hellman and you're probably down the road from each other, right? Yeah. Um, you you got a lot of kind of situ- situational awareness um but there would be situations where you'd go to a checkpoint and your job was to take them out on patrol take them to a local village you know train them up see how their patrolling was see how they would clear the ied belts you know what their drills would be like around vulnerable points and checkpoints um but then there would be times when you drive in there and everything would be fine there'd be other times when you drive in there and they turn the machine guns around on all of the checkpoints and try to take you all hostage mm. um and that that happened with, several times um, but the, the the core issue was like how we approach feedback culturally so in the US and in, in New York feedback is offered prolifically right yeah um, particularly in the city and most businesses <laughs> in my day job I work for Amazon which is we're, we're very famous for our kind of very honest feedback right yep. um, culturally to give someone feedback in Afghanistan is probably one of the worst things you could do wow so we had to try and train them in a place where our feedback wouldn't injure their pride. And I'm once just, you injured their pride, it was they, over. It was it was you were done. Got it. Um oh. but you still had to train them to do a better job fighting. Yeah. Um, and bring them up to Western standards. And ultimately we failed, as we saw in the route in the Afghan army in you know, August, July, August
1: 2021. Just not not judging, but the people of Afghanistan versus the people of Ukraine. I'm talking about the citizens now. Yeah. Was it the same? Was it similar or was there a different feel?
0: It it was different. It it's different. Um if we use like a business analogy, like we look at leadership, right? There's plenty of companies that have turned themselves around under the right leadership. Like you watch I watch C N B C in the mornings, right? People might be surprised, like think, oh, he's into international affairs, like he should be listening to NPR or whatever in yeah. I don't. I watch C N B C. Yep. Um leadership like is is a big deal um in Afghanistan they didn't have leadership got it and what they also had was other options got it uh in Ukraine Excellent they have point. leadership yep. and they have no other options no other
1: options yeah so the boats are burnt so they have no choice yep. yeah uh thank you for that 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 distinction because that's important uh for folks to understand the difference so you know you're in Afghanistan you eventually leave and start your civilian life yeah and what did that what did that look like for you
0: I, I made a deal um, that if I survived the army, I'd quit smoking and I'd marry my girlfriend at the time. So I married her, um, I was 29. I actually quit smoking and I still have quit today. Awesome. Even though I made a sneaky deal that when I'm back in war zones, I can smoke, but I didn't. So you didn't see me smoking in Ukraine, so I, for the record. I did I didn't. not see him
1: smoking in the no. Ukraine at all.
0: So um, I, I went into the business world. I initially uh, went to Canada. My wife's Canadian and I got a sales job uh, yep. selling advertising, which was important because in the military you learn a lot of things. You don't learn how to sell anything.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and you really, really need to learn how to sell if, you, if you're going to be successful. So absolutely. I had a sales job selling 100%. advertising, yep. um, which is good. And that, and that was old school. That there was under a couple of British guys who'd built a company. And that's like cold calling. Yeah. Ringing up clients, getting rebookings, right. All, all that good stuff. Um, so that was useful. I cut my teeth there. I then came to the States because my wife got a job at a a hospital here. Um,
1: What does she do? Is she a nurse, a doctor?
0: She is an epileptologist. So she's a doctor that specializes in epilepsy. Wow, that's Um, incredible. Yeah, she's a lot smarter than I am. And then I joined Team Rubicon, which is a disaster response organization around the US because I wanted to see a lot of the US. And what
1: year was this? Like, what are we talking about?
0: Uh, About four, about six years ago.
1: Okay, so were you around before we keep going? Were you there when. uh not the taliban when uh, isis started to make their run yeah or were you kind of out at that point
0: i, I was kind of out i was still tracking to it got it i okay. basically left the army when the decision was made not to intervene in syria not because i held a strong opinion on it but just because i didn't want to be sat in a barracks understood uh, in rural england yep. then with team rubicon i got to go i, I over 30 states leading disaster response operations for like flooding and were you living here in new york at the time i was living in ohio okay got it um but like there would be an issue where you know hurricane matthew would would hit you know south carolina we fly down there and get a bunch of trees off people's houses um so for anyone
1: listening though there was a desire
0: for you to serve yeah humanity at all
1: times you always want to help a human
0: there's also a desire to give back to america right yeah um i think that's something that's kind of flowed through my life because i got to grow up in peace like most of my grand, what three out of four of my grandparents were war orphans so Mm. you know america's kind of impact in world war ii was something that i'd always had in the back of my mind right Um, understood so yeah i wanted to help out i wanted to do some good i went to grad school whilst i was with team rubicon um and then after that, after two years, I came across to New York and I worked in management consulting uh, for government services, which is pretty cutthroat. So I enjoyed, I kind of enjoyed that. I enjoyed that kind of environment, like it's quite a tough environment. Um, you got to do, you know, offer better value propositions to than other companies in order to kind of, you know, keep keep your headcount high, keep, keep your people on jobs. But you've also got to be able to take inefficient government processes and fix them um and i kind of like that i did that for three years um that that was tough because like business is about efficiency but in government it's not you have Mm. the political dynamic so they're like yes we want you to achieve the same outcomes we would like in a private sector but we don't want you to upset anyone okay like we don't want you to upset voters got it so you can't send anyone a snooty letter but you still need to Get this amount of people to do this. Got it. Right. And, and so you,
1: you had some success doing that.
0: Yeah, we had a lot of success there. Um, we we ended up working on a large government grants program, um, which was part of the um, Superstorm Sandy um, yeah. that had been handed out by Andrew Cuomo back in the day. Yep. Um, and and basically trying to close out that and account for where all the funding had gone and everything else. And everybody knows it was very politically controversial. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of success there We won a couple of contracts Off a couple of very much larger firms That I was kind of uh, into um, And I was quite proud of that And then I went across to Amazon Because I wanted why to Why did you leave?
1: Why did you leave? Were you done with it? Or were you, did you looking for something more? I,
0: I worked on like a $4 billion program And we'd done things at scale But I wanted to do stuff at scale Nobody else had ever done it, Got it. So I went to Amazon um, And what year was this, Harv? is about 18 months ago Got it um, and at Amazon, I work on something called our high volume hiring program where we hire hourly associates um, all across like North America, uh, Middle East, North Africa, a couple other countries. Um, and we're higher significant amount. I can't give numbers, but we're we hire like significant amounts of people every week um, at a scale that nobody else has ever managed to do via amazing. a centralized system. So amazing. Yeah, I liked I like the idea of Amazon can invent things that can that can just be uncapped got it they, they create mechanisms that will work for one but they will also work for 10 million mm. um and i i don't think there's too many other organizations that can do that and that's a huge skill that i wanted to to learn so i got i kind of got everything i kind of wanted at amazon what is
1: your title at amazon
0: i'm just manager at amazon i i oversee a bunch of senior program managers and how work.
1: many do you how many people do you actually oversee if you're uh, allowed to share,
0: yeah know. not so many I, I i manage managers um we have about seven So if you manage managers,
1: you know, for people, what does that look like? How many meetings a day? Like, what is, what is the course of that business look like for you?
0: It's, it's a lot. Um, It depends on the strength of your managers. Yep. Really? Like, uh, it depends when, when I was first building out the team, like I'm now over a year in, I have a fairly mature team. They're a good team. They're, They're really great people. Uh, when we were first building out like six, seven hours a day meetings, right, going through what we need to do, Got what it. our milestones are going to look like, yep. how we intertwine all the individual efforts into a big plan and how we support like the business. Um, now, now, now it's not so not so hard. But yeah, it, was, it, it depends on the maturity of the organization. And that really well, the maturity of the team. And that really comes down to the people that we hired. Awesome.
1: Anyway, thanks for checking in and Harvey one last time, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: That's it for today with Rob Gill and the Epic Epic Financial Strategies Podcast. Be sure to hop to iTunes or Spotify to subscribe and tune into all the podcasts.
1: Also, be sure to follow the Rob Gill YouTube channel
0: and Rob Gill social media channels. We'll see you on the next podcast.